Welcome to the Minimalist CEO Podcast with Nate Lindquist. Nate created the Minimalist CEO Method to help business owners redefine and grow their businesses by finding new demand in places they never thought to look where there's no competition. By following his opposite thinking strategy, Nate's coaching clients have grown their business up to 40% in just two months and created tens of millions of dollars in revenue. Nate himself has launched more than 140 businesses. On the show, Nate interviews successful business owners and experts who share the secrets you can use to have a better business and a better life. Okay, everyone, welcome to the next episode of the Minimal CEO Podcast. This is Nate Lindquist, your host. And what's really important here is my guest. So I'm going to introduce you to the CEO and founder of the Golden Group Roofing, Golden Group Roofing in Worcester, Massachusetts. I did not do the accent as a courtesy. I, we just had a joke about that. There are no Adam Sandler jokes today on the podcast, but... Um, you want to talk about someone who is making it happen, woman-owned business, and then roofing, trying to bring those two things together. Very well-recognized roofing company, getting local and national attention in her company, and uh, she's rewriting the book on how that business goes. So without further ado, meet our guest, Greta Byrami. Did I say that right? You did well. Greta That's Byrami. right, Greta Byrami. Awesome. Hello, hello. Thanks for being on the podcast, Greta. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> Careful. So I, I love digging in deep to the, you know, the, the stuff that makes businesses get the stuff. You know, I think a lot of times there's band-aids. You'll hear me talk about like, let's get to the root cause. What really happened? How did you turn it around? What was the, what were those moments where you were scared, stuck? And instead of just adding to marketing, adding to messaging, adding to the business, I love to say, what did you take away? What did you cut away? What did you, how'd you get to the root issue? So that's what we'll spend our time on. Is that cool? Absolutely. So, and I don't make my guests cry, but I, it's funny. Could you imagine if that was the goal of the podcast? I think what you're doing is amazing. So could you tell us about yourself and how you get started in business? Absolutely. So Greta Myrami, 30 years old, and here I am in the world of roofing. My story started in Albania, a little bit long away from here where I grew up. And at the age of 10, my family decided that it was time to, you know, move to the United States and we landed here in Boston, Massachusetts, and we called this home uh, because there's a big old banging community here. And I found myself, you know, craving as much as I could and taking as much as I could from the American dream, you know, to be anything I wanted to be. And I wanted to be a law student and I wanted to, you know, be in touch with my journalistic passion and activist soul. So I found myself wanting and curving just that for my future, except life had a different plan at um 17 years old, I found out that I was pregnant with my daughter, Kiara. And, you know, that plan just went out the door because here I am now at 17 years old faced with the decision to either go and chase my career or give my daughter the life that, you know, she deserves or, you know, what, what she's worth. So conflicted between these two paths, I chose family because that was very important to me at that time. I chose to unenroll and re-enroll in, in a state university um, because it was a bit more affordable uh, for me and Freddie, my partner. And we took a lot of that money that we had saved for our college and put that back into uh, providing and creating a home with me, Freddie, and my daughter, Kiara. So, so you made something else right out of the gate. You made your, you made your soon-to-be child the priority. You made someone else the priority. Absolutely. And 
you had a dream of, if I'm not mistaken here, you, you had a dream of getting into the law and, and yeah. also had some aspirations for business and even activism. So you said, hey, all of these endeavors that are important to me, I'm going to stop. I'm going to hit the brakes. I'm going to find a path that focuses on taking care of Absolutely. my daughter. Absolutely. And that, that was the thing, you know, and sometimes in life we make all these plans and they're great, but sometimes life happens and things happen and we have to ask ourselves what's really important. And, you know, when I look back at the decision, that was the right decision for me because at that point in my life, what was important is that my daughter, no matter when she came into my life, whether it was 17, 27 or 30, I knew that she deserved a certain attention from me and I wasn't going to have her be neglected of it just because she did come into my life unannounced at a time that I was not prepared. So that was the choice I made. And, you know, I went through the daily struggles of being a young parent, of having to deal with the taboos of society and the way they viewed you, because now you are a young parent. Now everybody knows you've failed and you failed in not only to yourself in the mirror, you failed in front of your peers and everybody else. So there's a lot of struggle that you have to overcome each day. And each day is a challenge, but I found a way to balance it out. And I found a way to keep going, keep going, keep going. And luckily for me, a, a green light or light bulb moment, or maybe a silver lining came because I was in my senior year in my entrepreneurship class. And I was working on a project to bring to life a coffee shop called Tiramisu. And as I was working this whole year on this project, understanding everything on how to operate it, that summer, I got a job in a construction company and it was a residential construction company, but I saw that there were so many aspects of what I had learned in the college classroom that were just not applied to this field of construction. So I said, why not? And I did a little bit of research, but in the time that I was doing research to find why construction and particularly the residential sector didn't embody a lot of those feels that you normally would feel in hospitality, rest, you know, restaurants group, IT companies, why? And in the three years that I stayed with, within this construction company, I became an expert, but I also became an expert of realizing where improvements can be done because this crazy idea came to me that why shouldn't I open a roofing company? And so you saw the gaps in the roofing company and you also, did you say feels, certain feelings? Is it like what? Yeah, I don't, I'm a big believer of feels. I feel that when you're drinking something, eating something or dealing with somebody, there has to be a certain feel that you must be able to absorb from that other person in order to continue doing business with that person or their company or that relationship. If you don't feel good, if you feel used, abused, or you don't feel appreciated, why would you continue the conversation, you know, or why would you be happy to refer that person? So those are things that I saw in the world of roofing, oftentimes in residential were oftentimes missing. I love that. So you've grown now, you started a roofing company and I want to, I'm going to put a little, little note. I want to go back to this in a minute like how you actually started it. But the this thing about feels is really interesting. So you get a lot of listeners here who are in the home services space, some in construction, lots of different lots of different business owners. But I think you've, you've covered like a, a really important concept. So how does a business owner improve the feels that they create? Like if you were to give, if you were to give maybe like, yeah. do these three things and start improving the feels in your business. So you're sharing that energy. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, you- absolutely. Great question. It starts where, where your customer is seeing you for the first time. So if the customer is seeing you for the first time on the web, what energy are you giving there? Is it just generic? Is it just like everybody else? Or is it custom to what's important to you? Like if it's important to you to let customers know that 
your part, you run a marathon every year because that's important to you. Then as that being projected in that first instinct when people are getting to meet you, I think this is where a lot of homeowners fail. They fail to realize that the first introduction people have of you might be your website, your business card, your truck, or your social media. And if those places are really generic because you didn't take the proper time to invest, you maybe went with the blog that was, you know, just put there and duplicated or you picked a theme that looked pretty enough because somebody else had it right there, you're falling short. And then that feeling continues. How are they interacting with the people they meet that represent your company? Are these individuals relaxed or are they really pushy because you know, you've made it your goal to get those sales in? Um, again, if those are the energy that your company headquarters is all about numbers, oftentimes your salespeople or your consultants are oftentimes projecting that to the homeowner as well. And then what is the objective, right? Once the job is done, is it just to get the money? Money is really important, but if the customer feels that it's all about getting that final invoice clicked and paid, chances are referrals are going to be slim to none because they're going to realize that you never really cared about them. You were really in there to get that final check, you know, so you can go to the bank and continue the cycle. Mm. So those are just some very vague ways to look at it. But if those three things, when you're sitting hearing this, if those three things make you a little bit uncomfortable in your seat, I know I've hit a point that you know yourself is a weakness that you have within your operations. So at the very minimum, think of those three things and see if there's room for improvement. And then there's so many other ways that you can go deeper and deeper. Mm, I love that. You know, I think the biggest thing in minimal CEO, I tell people like if they learn nothing else, make sure their business is a helping system. So if you're stuck, I always say, be consistent at the results you create, understand the vision of what, what you're creating is actually going to create in the future. So mission and vision. Absolutely. And then I say, get massively productive at doing that, start helping and see if it's helping. And it's like people are like, that's so simple. I'm like, okay, sit down, look Absolutely. externally and internally and say, am I helping? Is it helping? Absolutely. And I think it automatically causes you to have things unfold. So let's go back over what you said, because I want people listening, I want the listeners to really get this. This is a serious insight. Now, I'm just going to say, I think this is also like, you could have a brand called Woman's Touch Roofing, because you're talking about <laughs> feels here. And I think that that resonates. And that's a real positive. You know, one of the things I learned in the book from David Data, I was going to hold it up if I had it nearby. I don't have it here, but it's the uh, way of the superior man. And ironically, most of that book talks about the masculine and feminine, puts a ton of energy into the power and the joy and the movement and the feelings and the emotion and the sharing and the story and the authenticity of women, but not just of women, of the feminine energy that can be brought to a business. And I dig that. I dig that. And I think the listeners are going to find something special here because you know, one of the things that we talked about in one of the businesses that I built, actually built it with my wife as a flipping training business. And one of the things is a lot of contractors in the space, and I don't know if you've noticed this, they tend to sometimes treat women significantly different, giving them the wrong prices, trying to look macho, trying to say, hey, let me basically, you know, you probably don't get this stuff. So let me just tell you what it's going to take. Mm -hmm. And then it became a huge advantage for female investors to know how to go in and be the woman flipper and create a situation where they're just being the girl doing the flipping and let the guy make it very obvious that he's trying to take advantage and treat <laughs> the woman like she doesn't know the business. That's right. And if there's people still conducting business that way, you know, I feel sorry that they haven't realized what the changes that have occurred. Enter the contracting business and construction business. And there's been a lot of change and more so than ever, we're seeing women as decision makers, more so than ever, we're seeing women that want to be the sole per, you know, lead in the project because they enjoy it. And 
you know, I know there's some businesses out there that still require husband and wife to be present. And that is such an old school mentality because um, you don't know if there is a husband or a wife. You don't know what the family dynamic looks like. So I dig that. You know, I will say this to give credit where credit's due. The program that I built with my wife, she basically built it. She branded it. She had all the experience and everything that she had done. And I went and helped her grow it. And she is a badass. I mean, <laughs> she's one of the smartest people I know. And she keeps me on my toes, keeps me sharp. And it, it's, I'm a very lucky man to have that. Well, yes, I see. <laughs> absolutely. What's that? Absolutely, I said. Yeah. <laughs> the yin to the yang, so. Yeah, I see the strengths. I see the uh, the diffuse awareness. You know, if uh, looking at Queen's, Ho- Queen's Code and Alison Armstrong, I've spent a good amount of time studying. Some of these books might have been referred to me by my wife. But studying the love languages, studying, uh, understanding feelings and the ideas, it's not all about me or resolving things. And there's this really good depth of, I highly recommend Queen's Code and celebrating partnership from Alison Armstrong. I don't know, have you ever heard of those books? Yes. Mm -hmm. Amazing. It's like, whoa, I heard it. I was like, I think the longer we listen to this, the more trouble I'm going to be in. But there was this amazing like, oh, that's why I do that, you know. My project's underway. They talk about all these other things, and and but yet you'll never know. So let's go back to the steps. I, I digress, but um, <laughs> that's okay. I, I love that you said feels, and so let's go back. The three pieces that I got out of this, and tell me if I missed anything: be real, invest in, and make the investment to be yourself. Don't be generic. Generic. And, yeah, and put it out there. Put out who you really are. So if you've got a hobby, if you've got something that makes you who you are. You don't have to polish and pretend and stock image your way into an industry. Be real. Yeah. And then the second one, you had interactions and touches. The idea of when you and your team, so the systems, the team, the people, the materials, whatever it is that's coming through, that's flowing through the business, diffuse awareness. (laughs) Interactions need to have a feeling and say, I wonder what this feels like to us. I wonder what feeling this is creating. I wonder what promise this is keeping that creates a feeling of accountability, of certainty, of customization, of personalization. So that was, yeah. And then the objective, do people feel that the outcome is the transaction or do they feel that the outcome is maybe more of a relationship and the idea of, you know, um, taking care of people before, during, and after the sale and just appreciation and, you know, loving your customers, standing in their truth, maybe telling them when, you know, there's plenty of times I've said no, slid checks back to customers and said, this is not the right step for you right now. So do we cover do those are the three core pieces of your feel system? Yeah, I think those are, I mean, there's definitely more that you can go in depth in each one, but those are the very basis of it. So if at the very least you check all those off, there's so many more ways that you can get creative how to increase that feel. And of course the feel, you know, how can you customize the process for your client and make it proprietary to your business? Mm -hmm. How can you customize a sales presentation and make it proprietary to your business? Again, when you're roofing um, or when you're selling a service, um, the only thing that's proprietary is the service. It's not the products. The products belong to a manufacturer. I always say this. I always tell you in my team, don't be caught up in presenting the material because the material you can go over it quickly, but the material belongs to another company who's doing likely a very good job at, you know, voicing to their clients why they're, they should be the materials for that, that home. But you as a service writer, you have to worry about, or you have to focus rather on what's proprietary about what you offer. Mm. 
as you bring that product line to the consumer. So for us, as we bring roofing to you, the only thing that's proprietary is of course the installation, but also the process that we've created in working with our team that it's not duplicatable if you work with somebody else. So roofing is a pretty generic service and you know, people say, hey, roofing is, that's construction. It's probably one of the most hardworking, uglier, most difficult, weather has such an impact on it. I've met some roofers and I would have to say they work really hard. And some of these guys are tough dudes that are like up the ladder, down the ladder, up the ladder, down the ladder, maybe a lift from time to time. Boom, it starts raining, three more trips. So how did you look yeah. at the construction job that you got and say, ooh, I'm going to, I'm going to go, you know, hang a shingle out to start a business. How did you go into roofing? Why did you pick roofing? You know, I, I picked roofing because I saw a need. I saw a need to take that hospitality background of the customer's always right, whatever the customer wants. There's certain money I have to, when I go into a relationship with a client, it's really truthfully about making them satisfied. Sometimes you might have to cut a check back to a client to reach that point of satisfaction, but that's no different than a restauranteur that uh, comps a check, right? Like that's no difference. And I think when you understand that there's some rooms for improvement, that's why the roofing just sounded so doable to me because I had also spent three years working for a roofing company. I had learned the ins and out. I'd been on installs every single day. I had sat on the ridge passing shingles every single day, stripping, you know, cleaning. It wasn't pretty. Um, I did it because at that time the market wasn't doing very good. There wasn't really many people hiring international fair students. So I said to myself, I'm learning here. They're paying me well, but instead of going back to international affairs, now that the market is picked up, why not open a roofing company? Why not take everything I've learned in the college classroom and everything I thought corporate was going to teach me and why not pair it up with this need, this need to be transparent, this need to realize that the customer is always right. And every other business knows it too. There's, you know, there's hotel groups that, you know, that take care of their clients. There's restaurants that take care of their clients. There's a lot of industries and why construction overlooks this process why does this construction make it so hostile for the client if they don't like something that's too bad that's your problem mm-hmm. you know would you say bad. that you took over and built a business that essentially if you look in general was a broken sort of high contrast market where most of the roofing companies just weren't taking care of their customers so you decided to Absolutely. And I decided to do it in a way that was going to complement my style and my integrity. And my style is that I don't like to be price negotiated. I like to have the whole power. I'm a very, maybe I'm a dominant person. I don't know. I'm an Aries, right? So maybe I like to be in power, but that's what I, I like my brand to be my own and to, to reflect what's important to me. And I don't want to ever strip power from a homeowner. I'd rather give them all the knowledge I possibly can and let them make the best decision for them. And maybe that's a, a laid back approach, but I like to think that that's a very, I don't want to say egotistic approach, but it almost it's an approach where almost like I know what I'm offering and I'm going to give them the power to make their own decision. Including and, say, you saying no, if they're not willing to pay your price. Absolutely. That goes both ways. Absolutely. So you you know a lot. Do you have to to put yourself in a place like, listen, we do it right. It's going to be a great experience. You know, it almost sounds like you're like the concierge of roofing services. Yeah. You don't want to pay, take you no laundry. If you don't want to, if you don't want to make the commitment, it's okay. Someone else will. Is that how you, how you absolutely. do it? Absolutely. And that, with that approach in mind, I know it's scary to maybe some people hearing right now. It's scary and they might think I'm crazy, but I can guarantee you that 50% of those people will come back to you the next morning. We have, we have it happen here at least once a week. So at some point in the week, somebody's going to come back in here and somebody's going to tell you that, you know what, that approach works because a client loves when you stand your ground because it shows that you know your worth and you're not willing to discredit it for anybody else. 
That's interesting. I love that. And I think also there's such a power in the minimalist CEO method to say no. (laughs) So that leads me to, you grew a business to over $5 million or almost 5 million and, and about to pass it. If you had to list like, hey, listen, here's the top one or two challenges that I face to move from the, hey, someday I'd like to have a million dollar business to you're about to blow by 5 million. What are the challenges? Maybe the top two, because obviously we have a limited amount of time that we could shine some light on for for our listeners. Structure. I think that sometimes being a CEO at a young age and being an entrepreneur at the young age, visions come to us. And just because you're a visionary doesn't mean you're an executor all the time. I think there's a fine line between being the visionary and the entrepreneur of a business, the true entrepreneur of it, and being the executor of it, right? Being that chief executor. I think there are two different roles. I think, right? Yeah. I think there's two different, it's it's a different thing to say I'm the entrepreneur and I'm the CEO. I don't think that I truthfully own the title CEO, not even today. Hmm. I wouldn't say that I'm the best CEO out there because I, I see myself as very much a visionary. I'm the person that comes into the room because I was driving and an idea hit me. I'm the person that wakes up at 2 a.m. and grabs my notes and writes some, something for marketing that I want to try. I'm that person. Yeah. And I think sometimes the biggest struggle in this growth has been that as an entrepreneur, I have to find a way to become a CEO mm. as we grow through these numbers. Because obviously, I'm not in a position to relinquish that control completely to somebody else. But I almost wish that I had gone around it the other way. I almost wish that maybe I had spent a little bit more time mirroring somebody else. And I think as sometimes as entrepreneurs, we don't have that because sometimes businesses happen overnight. We get so excited. We start them, but we miss out on that training part of it. We miss out on that bigger piece part of it, of, the, of that structure part of it. Mm. We move along and try to grow and develop as the business keeps growing. And sometimes it could be a deadly thing because you might grow a $10 million operations and it might be out of control. We've seen that over and over again. So um, as a contract CEO advisor and a minimalist CEO, over and over again, CEOs get in touch with me and they say, I've got the vision. I've got the goals. I even have the sales. You know, I, I mean, with people who are doing 10, 20, $30 million in business or more. And I'm going to share something with you. So part of the strategy in the conversation that I go through was my biggest weakness. I have the visionary part. I have the creative. But when you talk about the challenge of execution, the speed of implementation between an idea and the action and who's going to do it and letting go so it can get done so you don't become the bottleneck. <laughs> I noticed I tended to, and a lot of business owners do in the entrepreneur space, tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm just going to do something else. Or they throw everything at the project, including the kitchen sink. And so there'd be client work. Let's, let's use my marketing firm as an, as an example, where it'd be like, might be building a marketing project, might be building a website project. And this is years ago. And I would do everything that could possibly get done for that client to make sure they were happy and also feel those insecurities as a business owner and do more and do more and do more and do more. But when I sat down and wrote down processes, I came up with something really important is what is the specific description of what I'm going to do and what I expect in my experience and that the client expects and that they want to see done as an outcome. And when will I know it's done? Right. Then what are the action steps that have to be taken? What's the timeline? And then what is the actual outcome? What will be in someone's hands, either tangibly or, or pretty darn close to it, that confirms that it's done? And I found that I was able to deliver less, have happier clients, be more available for other people in the planning process. So now, as part of the minimalist CEO method, my team and I show clients, show CEOs, hey, you're missing this CEO piece. <laughs> yes. And do you want to, like, 
it's actually not, it's simple. It's not as complicated as it tends to look. So I give you a ton of credit. You went out, you took the leap, you build the business. Let's face it. You're about to pass the $5 million mark and I'm sure go well beyond that. There's someone who knows those steps or you could very easily decide that you want to adopt those steps. But even being willing to say, I don't know those steps is a real huge strength. Absolutely. So that leads to this. Do you want in your business to hold on to the execution and the, what you might call the operations part? Or do you want to be in the role of visionary leader and put an operations director or a senior project manager or a COO in place? Mm-hmm. That's what they love. I mean, what do you think? Absolutely. That's actually great. So that's what I've been doing in my business for the last year, even through COVID and everything else has been going on. I have designed it in a way that I don't have to be involved in the daily operations. And my role as CEO is very much just a title at this point. It's necessarily not that I'm involved in any CEO type of structures. I do have individuals in place that I've hired. I've been really grateful um, to, you know, absorb a lot of young talent. You know, I've made roofing sexy because I have been able to take a lot of recent grads with master's degrees you know, and, and tell them to, hey, you know what, roofing is an incredible industry to invest like let me tell you why you don't need to go into it or web design or graphics let me tell you why you should go into roofing and i'm and i'm very fortunate for that but yes i think that is what i would always invest that's actually what i would advocate to any good entrepreneur it's like if you're good at coming up with ideas the only way you're going to push your brand between 5 10 15 20 million is if you allow people to execute your ideas because you're going to have so many ideas. And if you're just stuck executing every single one, then you know, you're know you going to lose so much time and so much of your energy in just being stuck on that one idea when you can have all 10 of your ideas being executed by the people that you've appointed on your team. Okay, so you you shared a couple of things here. You said you made roofing sexy. and I did. <laughs> Yeah, and you started talking to, to graduates and mm-hmm. people who might go into websites, might go into IT. So there's interesting statistics right now. And I'm sure you're aware of it, that there's been a decline in people going into the trades, into the vocation Absolutely. of doing Absolutely. the work of blue collar roofing, of construction, carpentry, any vocation that's the blue collar trades. There's not people who want to drive excavators as much. There's not people who want to get their license and get certified to be an electrician. So um, making <laughs> roofing sexy, how do you make it also attractive to the people who are going to do the roofing, not just the people who are going to be yeah. in business? You make it attractive by allowing them to be recognized for the craftsmanship that they do every day. But obviously the paycheck is going to be number one. You have to be really, you have to pay people really well and you have to take care of them in the winter time. So what we realize is if we're able to pay people through the winter uh, consistently, what they would have made in the summer weeks or, you know, or fall weeks, they are just so they're happy and they want to continue working for your company. So we actually pay our workers even if they are off for six to eight weeks. So that right there is a sweet point for everybody. The second sweet point is developing installation and you know, trainings. I mean, GAF, one of our uh, manufacturers that we work with, and Certainty, another one, they love the fact that we bring our installers to all the trainings and we tr- and we give them this opportunity that if some of them maybe didn't go to college, they very much feel like this is a college education where they come in for Monday meetings, they have trainings, you know, they they have ways that they can incorporate themselves. So it's not just, they're not just roofers, right? They're craftsmen. And they are working and they're delivering a trade that's dying. And we, we are part of that little bit of hope that still remains out there that 
you know, people can be attracted to roofing because it is a very lucrative industry and it is an industry that they can apply themselves and make a great living. And when they get a little older, which they do, a lot of our guys step down from the roof and they join us as a foreman or construction supervisors, because I would say that the average roofer usually retires from the roof at about 40, 45 years old, simply because it is obviously hard to be harnessed and be hangling off, dangling off a roof all day. So. Mm. Okay. Well, bringing sexy back to roofing is really great. And I also think the idea, like seeing it as a life cycle with a a future makes it really compelling. Like you could become a sex advisor and all that. So absolutely, uh, all these things that you've accomplished, you're, are you 30 or in your 30s? I'm exactly 30. Yeah. 30 years old. It's amazing. And you're actually named 40 under 40 or class of 2017 by the Worcester Business Journal. So you're a peak performer in the business space. You received the Big 50 Award and the Business Award 2020 by Remodelers Magazine. Can you tell us about this and, and how you managed to have this recognition? You've got a multi-million dollar business and you have a family. You've got work-life balance <laughs> yeah. to consider. How do you bring that together and stay sane and healthy in the, in the process? I do a lot of things that I do because I enjoy them, but also it's a commitment to the industry. So when you look at advertising, there's a great amount of Google ads you can do out there. There's a great amount of SEO you can do out there and social media marketing. But the biggest part of your marketing is your contribution to the bigger picture as a CEO. We see it done in corporate America. We, you know, we see it done all over the world. So you are no different. So what are you doing as a CEO today to reflect back to the greater good of the industry or the community or the, or the state that you're a part of. And if you can't answer too much other than the very basic, then that's really maybe one of the reasons why your company isn't getting the PR or the knowledge that it really, you know, or the credibility that it needs to continue moving forward. So my involvement into all these things and my reason for being nominated is simply due because I'm always trying to put about 10 to 15 hours a week to the bigger picture. What, what organizations can I be a part of? Where can I contribute my knowledge of Golden Group? Because it's going to come back to Golden Group. Essentially, all these 15 hours of work, this is priceless PR. This is priceless marketing. It's only going to internally, you know, it's only going to affect positively the brand as I continue to go out there and become this, you know, this image of woman in the trades, because essentially it is a woman in the trade that's linked to Golden Group. And mm. that is the brand that I represent. What's so my powerful? involvement, I believe every CEO should do this. I mean, yeah, what's powerful about what you're saying is I know that a lot of people go to chamber events, networking events, PM events, morning events, breakfast, those are, yeah. right? And, but a lot of times you hear the reason for going there is this whole sort of, you know, BNI culture, nothing against BNI, but the, if the idea is like, it's all about networking to get the lead to make the sale. Mm-hmm. I, from what I hear from you, it's, care, give back, be connected. No, yes. So I was going to stop you. I said those relationships. Absolutely. And I was going to stop you to say that those are great, but those have nothing to do with the bigger picture. Bigger picture on my perspective is I belong to the entrepreneurship council of the state university here. And I work as a mentor with the professors to help guide the graduating class um, that have aspirations to become future entrepreneurs in our community. Because me being their mentor every day, me meeting with them in Zoom calls two to three hours a week, I'm helping them become part of the bigger picture in the community. And it doesn't have to be roofing, but this is my involvement to them. And also I sit as a treasurer on the New England Roofing Contractor Board uh, that governs, you know, 10 states all the way from Maine to Delaware. So my purpose of doing that, again, is to the bigger picture. Like what can I do to benefit roofing in the 10, 15 years ahead, you know, and have it be something that affects it even long after I've departed from it. 
So this Should is I depart? yeah, this is legacy stuff, and you really do care. So if someone uh, wants to in their business go out and build these relationships with aspiring entrepreneurs to help them understand their trade, their industry, their business. Do they reach out to intern organizers? They reach out to entrepreneur classes, professors, universities. Who do they Absolutely. reach out to? All Absolutely. At vocational schools, I work with interns from vocational schools. Vocational schools are always looking for you to intern one of their students. Of course, you will have to pay the intern um, for the time, but don't view it as, oh, I don't want to pay this intern. View it as the bigger picture. You know, it's not going to cost you a lot of money. And that intern might actually bring so much wealth of knowledge. But even if they don't bring as much as you need, the bigger picture, you know, you're helping somebody out there. And so we have a relationship with the vocational schools. We have a relationship with the state universities, but there's so many more ways to get creative with it. All you have to do is get involved and see where you could apply yourself, not just as a roofer or a plumber or electrician or whatever trade you do or industry you serve, but as an entrepreneur, because at the end of the day, all businesses have the same fundamentals. Yeah. That's true. I say to my clients and all the time you'll, you'll hear me say in, on my interviews and on podcasts is that it's not about the industry. It's about the model. If you understand the business model, you understand how to build a helping system. They're almost all the same in almost all the same ways. But one core that I'm seeing here with you and uh, before we leave, I do have uh, just one more quick question because we only just have a minute or two left. But I see a theme of really caring about helping people. You're fascinated with finding out what, what can help them even better and just a caring about what you're doing. So I would like to know to care for yourself in the midst of building this and to bring the best that you can to your business. Do you have any rituals that you do as you get started in your day to make sure that you're booted up and ready to go each day? Yeah. You know, my ritual is very simple. It might be boring to some people, but I enjoy the simplicity of thinking my own thoughts. So I'm, I'm European, so that means I have to have espresso every morning and think. Think to reflect on what I can do better. Think what I did wrong, what I said wrong to a friend. I don't know. Random stuff comes up to my mind all the time. But I love to just be quiet and self-reflect and let my thoughts guide me. I'm one of those people that sometimes will ride the car with no sound because it's very important sometimes to just hear your own thoughts and like what, what your core, what your soul is telling you about yourself. Because sometimes we move really fast and maybe some of our internal character traits are trying to tell us something, whether we flawed at something or whether we did great at something. And then, of course, on top of that is my family. I, every morning I have to have breakfast with my children. It's, it's a ritual. It doesn't matter if we have to get up early. I have to see them because I have to make sure when I look into their eyes and when I see them like saying, mom, you did this or mom, I saw the way the student looked at like that is my fuel. And everybody has different fuels, but those are two rituals, you know, my espresso time and my breakfast with my children is extremely important to me. I I have to start that day like that. I have to look into their eyes because also when I look into their eyes and their innocence, it keeps me humble too. And it keeps me innocent too. Sometimes in business, we deal with a lot of stuff and it's some stuff can become great. But when you look at something as simple and as innocent as a child, you realize that that's what life's all about. It's about that simplicity Mm. and that sincerity that a child has. And you got to remember that every morning as you deal, because sometimes in business, you know, certain things can become gray because it's just the nature of, you know, the beast in all of us. <laughs> Beautiful decision filter too. And I do have a workshop that I talk, I work on that I think is it's right in alignment with what you're talking about, which is 
if you're making a business decision, it's a tough decision. Just put a kid in the seat across from you and think, what would I do to really care for this kid? What's the right thing to do? And it's like, whoa, all of a sudden, you know, and even that feeling you might have a frustration, anger starts to fall away and learn turns into understanding. So my last question before we go would be, and I already shared with me, we're going to share your website so people can get in touch with you in the show notes. I'll make sure people can reach out and um, you have a billboard. So we're going to say you can have a big billboard. The whole world can see it. And (laughs) on that billboard, you're going to share a message to other business owners about what's essential. And what's essential, like not about my business, anything that you want to share. It could be the, you could, it could be business advice for sure. Maybe there's a personal one over here, but this is just what's essential, a message for them, for their business. What's this? Yeah, of course. So I actually did a billboard. I don't know if this applies, but I did a billboard that was very, it caught a lot of attention and feel free to use it. It said, I put in a big billboard, craftsmanship, we're proud to stand on. And that's all I put. And I just put my logo and Mm. people loved it. I didn't sell them anything. And I just said, if I'm proud to stand on top of it, you know, and I'm proud to wear it. That's the most important thing. You know, when you're truthfully proud to wear your logo and you're truthfully proud to watch other people wear your logo, I think that is where you've hit such a sweet spot mm. because it's craftsmanship and detail that you're proud to stand on. So that could be, you know, that could be like the the business. If, if you're not proud of the work that you do and you're not willing to have it be criticized by, by the top, top of the industry when no one's looking, then you have to fix something, you know. If you're not proud of every single thing you put out there, then you have to fix something. So every day I know that when I drive by one of my work, one of my installs, every day I, when I know I meet one of my clients, every day when I see one of my staff members wear my logo, I'm proud of all those moments because I know there's nothing to be shameful of. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that's, oh, that's one brilliant. of my billboards. You know, people, a lot of, there's a lot of promotional conversation. And what you're saying out there is you got to be willing to put your signature in the corner. You got to be willing to stand on, stand on, stand behind, put your stakes in the ground. But I love it. So craftsmanship, we're proud to stand on. I love that. And uh, this has been a great interview. Thank you. Thank you. So Greta by Rami, we now know you just a little bit more. You're brilliant. Uh, This interview, I'm so grateful to have you on the show. Thank you for being on the Minimalist CEO podcast. Thank you for having me. And if if I can be of any assistance to any aspiring entrepreneurs, I'm always on there. I'm just a text, email, call away. Anything I can do to to make you seek out your very own success. Like I said, uh, when I was 17 years old, I didn't think that home ownership would ever be a dream of mine. So here I am today making other people's dreams of home ownership become true. So. Brilliant. Well, thanks again for being on the show, Greta. And uh, to all our listeners on the Minimal CEO podcast, this is Nate Lindquist. I'm really grateful and glad that you've been here. Take the time <laughs> to download, share the podcast, uh, check us out. You might be watching this in the video on YouTube. And this has been an awesome interview. Check back soon. We have other episodes coming. And thanks for being here. Thanks, Greta. And uh, we'll talk to everybody soon.